what's the word? Flap, flap. Say that word for me. Flapping through. Uh, fl- <laughs> People that could live good moral lives, but their philosophy can't get them there. Who am yep. I? What am I? How did I get yep. here? Yep. Machines don't ask that question. And now, the flaming sword. I'm doing super swell, Darren. How are you? <laughs> All right, good. Super swell, and no one else says it, and people make fun of me, but I'm going to keep saying it every no, once I in think, a while. I think that's fine. Does that come out of the 60s? <laughs> I, I hope not, because I wasn't alive. I think it does. Other, that's a whole other strange thing. I think that's some of that 60s hippie talk, I think. No, but I do have a little joke just to get started today, Darren, if that's all right with you. Well, I guess I was going to get in some theology, but I know you have to tell your <laughs> jokes. So go ahead. <laughs> well, it, it, no, it's kind of a fun one. It's, uh, I don't know if anyone ever heard of the skunk that went to church and sat in his own pew, but <laughs> it's, it's a holy <laughs> but a goodie. <laughs> oh, man. Half of our and, listeners just turned, just turned that dial. And there goes the unsubscribers right now. Bam, bam, bam. <laughs> that's right. I don't know how we get into that, from that into uh, apologetics. We're going to get there. We were discussing last time, we had played a clip from William Lane Craig. We were discussing just basic apologetics, why we believe what we believe, why we believe in God. And then on his website, which is reasonablefaith.org, he had eight reasons why we should believe in God. And we got through the first two. I'm just going to read them real quick. Number one is God is the best explanation for why anything exists. And then number two, he is the best explanation for the origin of the universe. And we commented that, that those are pretty much the same thing. And then number three, God is the best explanation of applicability of mathematics to the physical world. Now, this one here is really, really good. So I'll let you comment first, and then I'll, I'll jump in. But I think this is... This is one of those we ought to discuss for a second. Yeah, no, I agree. And as I mentioned last time, and I'm bringing that up because I know uh, all of the people that listened last time are listening this time, and they've invited many of of their friends, I'm sure. (laughs) But math, for me, that's not something that, I mean, some people get just really excited about math kind of for its own sake. I'm not that guy, but I get more excited about math or science or even astronomy. Um, I almost said cosmology. Cosmetology, whatever one has to do with the makeup, that's the one I'm more excited about. I get those yeah. confused, but I but I get interested in that because uh, because it's a way to really give God glory and just be amazed at what He's done. So how that gets back to what William Lane Craig says in point three is that he's saying these laws of mathematics or these principles seem to exist independently of people. Is that kind of your understanding? Yes. And that's an amazing thing because if, if that's true, if they're, whether they're mathematical principles or sometimes they'll be referred to as laws of nature or other things, if those seem to be there independently of people, then somebody or something had to put them there. Yeah, there, there are people who will even ask the question, would math exist if we didn't exist? Right. The deep philosophers really do ask that question. Right. Well, would there be math? And I just think that's a silly notion. Right. Um, but it, he goes on, let me just read here a part of what it says. 
it says if mathematical objects are just useful fictions, how is it that nature is written in the language of these fictions? The right. naturalist has no explanation for the uncanny applicability of mathematics to the physical world. By contrast, the theist has a ready explanation. When God created the physical universe, he designed it in terms of the mathematical structure which he had in mind. And then he breaks it down. Point A or one would be if God did not exist, the applicability of mathematics would be just a happy coincidence. B, the applicability of mathematics is not just a happy coincidence, and therefore C, God exists. And that's kind of the, the synopsis of his, his, it's a little bit larger argument there. but Right. Yeah, and I, and I think, again, even, even to make that, just to make it a little more general, even outside of mathematics, the, the fact that this, this God or this being seems to have created things in such a way that we have the ability as other creations of his to understand what it is that he did just sort of screams that in fact there is this creator because otherwise we wouldn't even have any way to to understand uh, and mathematics explains all kinds of things and so what i hear him saying is first of all it's, it's just the math itself is incredible but then the fact that we have a way to understand it how how could that happen if there wasn't something there that this creator had made you got it Absolutely. Number four, and this is a good one, the fine-tuning of the universe. Yeah. That's the first thing that comes to my mind is, is well, if the sun was just a little bit further away, we'd freeze to death. Yep. And yep. if the sun was just a little bit closer, we'd all burn up. In fact, I think you, did you mention that in your sermon? I did. I did that on a sermon last so, week. It was kind of funny. Um, so I robbed of, you, I robbed you yeah. of your glory there. Yeah, that's, that's all right. Luckily, there's there's at least one other example of fine-tuning. Let me interrupt you real quick. Just since I mentioned that, I let people know you are a pastor. Do you want to just go ahead and just tell people about that real fast, and we'll get right back into this? I am a, a pastor, and I've been at my current church a little over a year, and uh, we're right towards the bottom of uh, the beautiful state of Idaho, where a whole lot of people are, are moving right now for, for various reasons. But, but uh, yeah, I just really love being here, and, I, and, uh, and for a number of reasons, I'm talking a little bit about Romans 1, and that God created everything, and, and essentially either Paul, who, who wrote that letter, is essentially saying either, either people acknowledge that God created everything, or there are some people that don't acknowledge that. But that was one of the things that I did talk about was the sun. Yeah. Um, just one other example I like to look at, think about, that might be easy, for again, for people that you know, don't have that, that innate ability to understand things like math and philosophy is as you and I are both um, both musicians, Darren, and, and um, if everybody can can imagine a great great big soundboard, now they have these these tiny little soundboards that do amazing things. But back back in the day, like when I was playing rock bands, I mean these soundboards were huge. And the way I understand fine tuning is that God has so orchestrated this universe that let's say you had the the best sound person, and and if just one person came in and just slightly tweaked one knob out of potentially hundreds of knobs, the whole thing gets thrown into a tailspin. That's how yeah. fine-tuned our universe is. Yeah, there's a, a guy by the name of Hugh Ross, who is yeah. an uh, astronomer or astrophysicist or whatever you call it, and he really does a lot of good work in that area. Yeah. So people can look him up, too. What, uh, what is Hugh Ross's? Can you think of his, is it reasons to believe? Or that's, yeah, reasons to believe, isn't it? I think that is right. Uh, Google Hugh Ross. Yeah. He's got lots of books out. He's got lots of debates 
um, too, that people can watch. And uh, yeah, I've learned a lot from him. So then going on, I mean, we could, we may end up doing maybe doing one on mathematics and we, we could do a whole podcast on each one of these points. So we're just trying to give an overview here. You go on to point number five, God is the best explanation of intentional states of consciousness. I was watching a, a debate. This was actually, throw out a couple names here. Um, this was maybe three or four years ago. Bill Nye, the science guy, of course, he was taking, taking the atheist position and he was debating a man by the name of Ken Ham. But they had a Q&A afterwards. And sometimes when I watch debates, sometimes those are some of the best things when you just get questions from the audience. This person said, how did, they kind of, they kind of said, I don't know what the person's view was that the person reading it didn't say, but they said, well, let's assume that, that there's no God that really created these things, that everything just evolved. How did all those things at some point get consciousness to the point yeah. where they could say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm self-aware, which is essentially what consciousness means. And of course, that, that's, that's where I... I that's what I was looking for, the whole self-aware, the self-awareness. Yeah. When I told you that story in the last podcast of when I was only 8 to 10 years old where I yeah. was saying, who am yeah. I, what am I, how did I get yeah. here? Yeah. Machines don't ask that question. No. It, it just doesn't no. work that way. So sorry to interrupt you, but I'll no, probably do it no. again at some point. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's where in that particular debate, I actually felt just from a debate standpoint, Bill Nye, I mean, he had, He'd done a good job and he's well prepared, but he just, there was no way for him to answer that question. I don't think there's any, any way for anyone to answer that, that question of where do we get this idea of self-awareness? In other words, how do we have the ability to even start asking questions about why am I here? Uh, what's my meaning? What's my purpose? If there isn't something that's created, created us. And, and I've been a Christian now for, for quite a few years, but I would say almost every day I'll wake up and I'm not saying, oh, look what I do. I'm just, I'm, I'm so thankful to the Lord. But just, I'm, I'm still amazed that I have this thing called life. You know, I have no idea. Sometimes I'll talk about this too in my, in my preaching, that we can get so arrogant as human beings. But I heard one, somebody say one time, God just sneezed and there was a universe. And I know that's kind of a simplistic way to say it. But, yeah. but this, God is, this God is not sort of like us and just a little bit more intelligent or a little bit better. He's, he's infinitely better and he's transcendent and just imagine something you know none of us really can create anything at the end of the day we just rearrange things that he's created but he created beings with the ability to be self-aware i mean that that's just astonishing to me absolutely going on to point six god is the best explanation of objective moral values and duties do you want me to go ahead and start with that one again? Well, yeah. Joe, here's yes. the deal. You're kind of like Michael Jordan when he got on a streak. I want to bust your streak here. So just... All right. Well, this is another one that I love because it's all of us, I, I would say this would be true of you know Christians or atheists. And I know most people would know this, but an atheist essentially is someone who's convinced there is no God. An agnostic would be someone who's not sure. Uh, sometimes I'll talk about garden variety pagans just because it's kind of fun to say, but, but people who just aren't aren't sure what they believe. Have you heard Frank Turek on agnostics? And I'll probably get this wrong, but an agnostic says you can't have knowledge, but by them saying that, they're making a knowledge <laughs> statement. Right. I have heard him say that. Yeah. And that's like, just since you brought that up, um, that's like somebody saying, well, there is no objective truth. Um, exactly. I have just made an objective statement in yeah. saying that. There are lots of contradictions there that people don't realize. But uh, all of us, I think all those categories of people probably want to be consistent in how they live. In other words, I want to have a reason for living the way I do. The thing with atheism or, or somebody who's an agnostic is they might live a good life. They, they, 
might be nicer than I am. I'm sure they're, they're way nicer than, than Darren when he's had a bad day. But <laughs> I'm just waiting to see if he's laughing. There's a little chuckle. But there are people that, that are not Christians or that don't believe in a God of any sort that could be nice people that could live good moral lives, but their philosophy can't get them there because they have, they have absolutely no reason to live that way, which means if you're an atheist and you're nice or you love your kids and grandkids, you're a hypocrite. I mean, at the end of the day, that might sound kind of strong, but yeah. but hypocrite just being you're, you're not living life because in atheism, there, there is no creator. There is no objective truth. There's no reason to be moral. There, there's no reason to do anything. And, and so they're having to borrow from a Christian worldview. And a, and a Christian worldview is that the reason that we have this idea of right and wrong and that's subjective is specifically and only because there's a creator that's given them to us. Yeah, it, it's, uh, I know that they accuse us sometimes of, of saying something like, well, we say that they can't be good. You have to put it within the context of what God calls good, because like you right. said, there are a lot of good atheists. There are a lot right. of, uh, what's the word, flap, flap, say that word for me, flapping three, or fla- <laughs> <laughs> flapping three, <laughs> How do you, flapping three. can Phalan- you say it? Phalan- Philanthropist? <laughs> yeah, those guys. Philanthropist. I think I got it right that time. You got it. It was better. And they give a lot of money. They right. give a lot of, uh, they donate millions and billions, some of these rich multimillionaires and billionaires right. that we see in the world. But it doesn't mean anything compared to God's goodness that right. we're accountable for that we can only get through Christ. And right. that's the difference there. So we're not saying that there, there can't be goodness in the world. It's, right. just, it's just where is your goodness being drawn from and what are you looking to for your goodness when we should recognize that we are created creatures, have a moral duty to whoever created us. Right. So one thing I want to mention, too, that's related to this a little bit indirectly, but again, from an atheistic perspective, we're just another animal. And uh, from, a, from a Christian worldview, but... Uh, one of the things that separates us is because we do have this sense of right and wrong, where animals are just acting from, from instincts. You know, we wouldn't see another animal, hunt down another an- animal and think, boy, they just sin. They've got to go you know, re- repent for mauling that animal. That's just what they do. But we as human beings seem to be the only creatures, at least that, that, that we're aware of, that have sometimes philosophers call it the sense of ought. Like, I, I ought to do this, but I'm doing something else. And that seems to be another thing that, that it speaks really strongly of this creator behind all of that. Yeah. The next one, number seven, is the very possibility of God's existence implies that God exists. That's pretty deep, Darren. That's a deep one. Were you going to discuss it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, where would that, where would that thought even come from? And I think that's a little bit of the result exactly. of, the, of this argument. And why would I even have this idea that there might be a God. And then you, you couple with that, that every, and, I, and I'm not you know, the best uh, historian by any stretch, but, but I have some hold on it. And essentially since the beginning of, of people, um, all cultures have had some way of recognizing that there's some being outside of themselves and you see it in their art. We hear it in, in music. We have all, even, even for somebody who might not be a Christian or might not, look at God in any type of religious sense, they're going to be aware that these, these cultures have all had this idea of something outside of themselves. Where did that come from? Why, why does most of the planet, you know, throughout all of history, 
think that there is some God outside of themselves. And that's just by itself. Maybe that's not a strong enough argument, but it certainly, it certainly plays, plays into that. Absolutely. I think we discussed that before that just like you said, just the concept of God means there has to be a God because from evolution that would have never came about, there would be no reason to seek out something that isn't there. Right. Right. All right. Number eight. Now this is probably going to be the hardest one as far as where people will feel it's more subjective where he says God can be personally known and experienced, which we agree obviously, but I can just see the atheist or the agnostic or whoever rolling their eyes and just thinking, well, yeah, everybody says they experience their God. The Mormons experience their God. The Jehovah's Witness experience their God and Hindu, and you could go on and on. So there's a difference, though, in Christianity. There's a difference, and I think we'll probably get into that a little bit more either the next podcast or the next as we get more into Scripture. But just from a philosophical or subjective point of view, what, what do you, how would you answer that? How would you, because Bill's putting that out there on his website, like that's just self-evident. And I don't think it's that easy, especially since I, I see these atheist debates and I know you've watched a lot of atheist debates with, with Christians. So how would you handle that one? I think, and you mentioned Mormons and that, and there are many other examples too, but since Mormonism is maybe a little more well-known as a, as a worldview or a religion, um, one of the things that, that Mormons will do, and I, I don't want to speak out of turn for them, so if I'm not getting this quite right, I apologize, but essentially they will, they will teach you some things and they'll say, pray about this, and, if, and you should feel, they call this burning in the bosom, you're going to feel something, yeah. and, and, uh, and that could happen to people, and uh, you can see, like you mentioned, people rolling their eyes, say, okay, well, anybody could do that, but I, I think you have to put this idea of a personal experience with God Ian, if I can put it this way, uh, we're talking about this big category, which would be why we believe what we believe. And that personal experience just in and of itself maybe isn't enough. Somebody could say, well, that's just an experience you had, or you just really believed that and you wanted it to be true. But if I have this personal experience with this God, and then there is also evidence for that particular God that I believe in, that's different. And that's what you would have to do um, with, with Mormonism. Just as, to use that example again, you'd have to say, okay, well, this is this feeling I have, and now I would have to test the other tenets or the other truths of the Mormon faith to see if, in fact, they were true, or from a Hindu perspective, or whatever it might be. And so with Christianity, that in of, it, in of, it, of itself isn't enough to give strong evidence for God. But if, in fact, I have this sense that I have this relationship with this personal God, and then the other truths of Christianity teach me about this personal God, and it all lines up, and there's, and we'll get to this in another podcast, and there's archaeological evidence galore, there's manuscript evidence for the texts of Scripture galore, and we see all these things over and over that are tested. And then in addition to that, I have this experience of this God who's personal. Then I think that has to be a huge factor in the equation. Okay, brother, believe it or not, we've already about out of time, but we did get through William Craig's eight points. And yes, we, we blasted through them. But we're hoping in future podcasts, we may discuss individual ones. We're, we're going to be looking at all, all sorts of arguments. All right, folks, we'll see you next time.
listening to The Flaming Sword. Until next time, remember, love the sheep. Bah. Shoot the wolves. <laughs>